0: Hey, Merry Christmas Grace Fellowship. Great to be all with you. I love celebrating Christmas with my physical family and I love celebrating Christmas with you guys, my spiritual uh, family. Love singing the Christmas songs together, hearing the Christmas uh, scriptures together. Thank you Judah. Uh, just Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, so yesterday at 11 a.m. we had our children's service. This place was packed we uh, acted out the nativity scene our children did it was powerful and then when that was over uh, we went out onto the porch and we had hot chocolate station we had decorate your own cookie station I think a craft station and then over here we had a snowfield. field uh, and there's sledding and there was a whole snowfield just to have snowball fights and I went out there I was in the middle of it I was like elf going <laughs> and uh pelting kids and uh and then about seven kids ganged up on me or pelting me one kid nailed me from the side right in the ear it was hard it hurt it was awesome and then the snowball dropped but all the snow stayed inside of like all the crevices of my ear and I couldn't get it out and like one of your kids did that (laughs) and it was wonderful we (laughs) I just Merry Christmas I've been thinking about uh, a lot of my loved ones that have graduated up into heaven. I just think about them around Christmas time. And in particular, I've been thinking about my maternal grandfather. I think we have a picture of him we can put up there on the screen. There he is. There's 22-year-old Jim with his arm around uh, my grandfather. I just love him. I miss him. Uh, We would go over to his house and my grandma's house almost every single Sunday after church and have lunch. Uh, We did birthdays together, Christmases together, Thanksgivings together. I was thinking this week about one Thanksgiving in particular. I think we have a a picture of that Thanksgiving we can put up there on the screen. So yeah, put leave this up here. So on the left there are Lisa and I, and we're not married yet. I think this is 1986. We're not married yet. And then back left are my grandparents, and uh, we called Grandma Grandma Alva. And then in in the back middle is my mom, my dad's taking the picture. And then on the right there in the back, my brother has his head on the table. Uh, That's John. And he's dating Stephanie. And then on the front right there is my sister, uh, Lisa. So John and Stephanie have been dating for a while. And in the middle of this Thanksgiving lunch right here, in front of everybody, Grandma Alva says, hey, John. When are you going to ask Stephanie to marry you? Like, talk about awkward. It was awesome. And uh, only grandmas can get away with that kind of thing. And kind of John kind of hemmed and hauled around. Finally, she said, You need a ring? She takes her ring off her wedding finger, hands it across the table to my brother John, says, Go ahead, ask her to marry you right now. And my brother kind of turned bright red. Uh, He did not ask Stephanie to marry him right then and there. But about a year later, he asked Stephanie to marry him. And my grandparents were right there on the front row uh, celebrating uh, that. Good times. Just good times. My grandparents graduated into heaven in 1994 and in 1996. And then if you'll fast forward to 2021. So my dad graduated to heaven in 2019. My mom graduated to heaven in December 2020. So now it's early 2021 and I'm at my parents' house just uh, processing the things in their house, uh, deciding, okay, what are we gonna keep? Uh, What are we going to uh, throw away? What are we gonna put in an estate sale? And I came upon several boxes of what appeared to be just unprocessed mail and uh, lots and lots of junk mail that just needed to be uh, thrown away. And I came really close to just throwing all those boxes in this dumpster that I'd put on the driveway and just i was gonna pick up all these boxes and take them there. But I kind of had a check in my spirit, like, no Jim, you need to go through these boxes. And so I'm like, all right, okay. So I sat down, I just began to go through the boxes, just kind of one piece of paper at a time, one piece of paper at a time. I, I've never processed so much junk mail in my life. And I got about one third of the way through the boxes, I'm like Oh, I started to pick up the boxes and take them to the dumpster. But then I'm like, no, I'll keep going. So I kept going, another piece of paper, another. And then I came across this. I think we have a picture we can put up here on the screen. So I know you can't see the details of this, but these are the report cards of my grandfather, the one I showed you a picture of earlier, from 1911, 1913, and 1915. Oh my word. I am so glad I did not throw away all those boxes. Uh, So these are the report cards of my grandfather when he was in second grade, fourth grade, and sixth grade at uh, Sherman School in Houston Public Schools in 1911 through 1915. What a treasure. Uh, I am so glad that I did not throw all of that away. And as I studied these report cards, I could begin to see some of my grandfather's story in here. And I know you can't see these things, but, uh, you know, in the far right are his mother's signature. So I was seeing the signature of my great-grandmother. And then as I studied his report, I see that his best subject was math. He had all high scores in math, and that makes sense as you get later in his uh, story. And then I noticed Sherlock Holmes... um, that he, in the third card, he's attending night school. So in 1911 and 1913, it says Sherman School, but in the bottom one, 1915, it says Sherman Night School. So when my granddad was in sixth grade, he started working during the daytime and then attending night school at nighttime so that he could help earn money for his family uh and by the time he is in 8th grade or by the time he's 14 he's no longer in school at all uh and he's working full time all day long he was working at a bank he started out by sweeping floors and running errands for what would become Texas National Bank which today is Chase Bank hello um my granddad worked for the same bank for 50 years. He started sweeping floors in eighth grade. By the time he was 20 years old, they made him a bank teller, math. And by the time he's in his 40s, they made him comptroller of the bank with only an eighth grade uh, education. And I almost threw away <laughs> those boxes uh, with his report cards in it. I almost missed a significant piece of my family history that was right under my nose. I almost missed a significant piece of my family history that was right under my nose. Can I take that story and apply it to our Christmas Eve. If I could summarize what I think God wants us to talk about this Christmas Eve together is, don't miss the Christmas message that's right under your nose. <laughs> Imagine with me for a moment that you had lived in 4 BC. All right, work with me here. It's 4 BC, you live in Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph show up in your town. And she gives birth to a baby who we eventually learn is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Here's my question. If you'd lived in Bethlehem in 4 BC, would you have even noticed? And would you have responded? Or would you have missed it? It's 4 4 BC, Bethlehem. It's right under your nose. Just like my grandfather's report cards were right under my nose. They were just a few layers down of junk mail and there they are, a treasure. Would you have noticed and responded to the birth of God's son or would you have missed it? The religious leaders of the day and the governmental leaders of the day missed it. The, the wise men tipped them off that Messiah was being born But the governmental leaders and the religious leaders were just too wrapped up into their own worlds to even respond or notice. But the wise men noticed, the magi. Matter of fact, they traveled hundreds of miles on camel until they found the Messiah. And then they worshipped him with gold and with frankincense and myrrh and they bowed down before him. They did not miss it. Which one would you have been in 4 BC in Bethlehem? The wise men who saw him and responded and worshiped or the governmental leaders and the religious leaders who were so wrapped up into their own world, they didn't even notice. Now this question becomes less theoretical when I pose it this way. Will you, will I be ready for Christ's second coming? At Christmas time, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. But I propose to you that the most important question that you can ask this Christmas Eve is, am I ready for Christ's second coming? The hymn writers understood this. If you will deeply study the words of many of our Christmas hymns and really study the words, you'll see that when they were writing these songs, these hymns, they were not just talking about the first coming of the Messiah. They were talking about the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah. Case in point, joy to the world we sung, that's the first song that we sang together this morning, Joy to the World. Uh, matter of fact, I put the words to the song in your worship guide. On page three of your worship guide, you've got some sermon notes there. And in the box there, I put the words to the song Joy to the World that we sang uh, earlier this morning. I want you to study those words with me. um, Because most of these words, some of these words are referencing His first coming. But most of these words are referencing His second coming. For example, look at verse two there. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Jesus did not reign in his first coming. Rather, he will reign in his second coming. He was crucified in his first coming. He'll reign in his second coming. Look at the third verse. Sins and sorrows will not stop growing until Christ's second coming. The curse of Genesis 3 will not be fully reversed until Christ's Second coming. Watch this video about the origin of the song, Joy to the World. Watch this.
1: While most Christmas carols focus on the story of the nativity in the past, one well-known hymn encourages Christians to look forward to the future.
2: There is one Christmas carol that is unlike all others, That song, Joy to the World, is not about the first coming of Jesus. That hymn is about the second coming of Jesus.
1: Joy to the World was originally part of a book of poems written by the great English hymn writer Isaac Watts in 1719. Based on the 98th Psalm, the poem was never intended to be a Christmas song, or any kind of song for that matter. And Watts never knew that he had just written one of his most famous hymns. A century later, a Boston music teacher named Lowell Mason discovered the poem and set it to music. Because it was released at Christmas time, it quickly became a holiday favorite and went on to become the most published Christmas carol in America. Joy to the world, the Lord
2: has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every nation prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the wonders of His majesty. It's about when He comes again, finally, and rules in power and justice and mercy.
0: Isn't that interesting? Hey, I think you sing the song way better than they did. (laughs) Hey, not only do the hymn writers put a strong emphasis on Christ's second coming at Christmas, but so do the Old Testament prophets who many of our Christmas scriptures come from. Many of the Old Testament scriptures that foretell the coming of the Messiah talk not just about his first coming, but also about his second coming. So let's look at a couple of those Old Testament scriptures together. I put these in your notes. The first one I want you to look at is Micah chapter five. It's right there in your notes in your worship guide. Micah chapter five is a classic Old Testament Christmas scripture. You know the scripture. It tells us where the baby's gonna be born in Bethlehem. Look at it, Micah chapter five. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, Look at the chart that I put there in your notes. Half of that scripture we just read from Micah 5 is about the first coming of Christ, but half of it is about the second coming of the Christ. Look at the chart. On the left side, uh, uh, from Micah, we learn regarding his first coming, that Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, that's a first coming event, that Mary will give birth to the Messiah, the Messiah will shepherd his flock, and the Messiah is peace for those who invite him to be in their lives. Then on the right-hand column there, we learn regarding his second coming from Micah, we learn that there will be a regathering of Jews, his brother, to Israel before his second coming. We learn that Messiah will rule Israel. That's currently not happening. It's a second coming event. He only rules in the hearts of those who invite him in his first coming. But in his second coming, Messiah will rule over a kingdom. And because of that, his people shall dwell secure and in peace. Do you see how this classic Old Testament Christmas scripture from Micah is not just about Christmas? It's not just about his first coming. It's a scripture about both the first coming and the second coming uh, of the Christ. Let's look at another scripture, Isaiah chapter 9. I put this one in your notes as well. Look at it with me. Classic Christmas scripture. You know this one, Isaiah 9. Here we go. So look at the next chart that I put there in your notes. Again, I break down first coming, second coming. This scripture that we just read, only half of it is about his first coming. Half of it is about his second coming. Look at the chart, left-hand side. Uh, we learn about Messiah's first coming from Isaiah 9, that Messiah will be born as a child. We learn that God's son will be given to the earth. And we learn that to know those who know him, not to the whole world, but just to those who know him, he will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. But then right-hand column, regarding the second coming of the Messiah, we learn from Isaiah 9, that Messiah will rule on the throne of David. Hello, the Messiah is not ruling on the throne of David right now, not yet. That will not happen until his second coming. We learn that he will set up a kingdom here on earth that has not happened yet. It will happen at his second coming. And we learn that he will have a government and he will rule with peace. That is not happening yet. It awaits his second coming. And on that day, everyone, everyone will know that Jesus is mighty God. Do you see how these classic Christmas scriptures from Isaiah chapter nine are not just a Christmas scripture? It's not just a first coming scripture. It's a first coming and a second coming uh, scripture. And if you don't understand that, it will leave you scratching your head wondering, huh, I don't see Messiah reigning on the throne of David. I guess Messiah hasn't come yet. Huh, I don't see all evil vanquished yet. I guess Messiah hasn't come yet. Huh, I don't see all sickness gone. I don't see all death gone. I guess Messiah hasn't come yet. No, Messiah has come. But he's only accomplished the first half of his mission so far, which is dying for the sins of the world. And he is coming back again to accomplish the second half of his mission, which is to vanquish all evil, to vanquish all pain, to vanquish all sickness, to vanquish all sin and all death. Can you understand how some people might have missed the first coming of the Messiah? They were expecting a ruler and Messiah came as a baby. Look at the diagram that I put there in your notes and we'll also put it up here on the screen. That little person on the far left is a really bad drawing of a little person. <laughs> Represents somebody who lived in 700 BC and heard Isaiah's prophecy in 700 BC, what we just read from chapter 9. So this person here is Isaiah 9 and as they hear it as they see it, it looks like one mountain to them. Look at their viewpoint. It looks like one mountain peak to them. It looks like one mountain that's in front of them. They think everything prophesied in Isaiah 9 is going to happen all at once. They cannot see the valley called the church age that lies between the two separate comings of the Messiah. And so when the Messiah comes as a baby born in a manger, they miss it. Because they're expecting a military ruler who's gonna come and get rid of all the bad guys. And that will eventually happen, but not until the second coming of the Christ. All right, so time out. Let's pause and let's make this personal for your life and mine. Look in your notes there at application number one and ask yourself this question to make it personal. Do I have a second coming expectations while I'm living between Christ's first and second comings? In other words, am I allowing myself to become disillusioned with the lack of world peace, disillusioned with the lack of the vanquishing of all evil, when those things will not happen until Christ's second coming? What expectation management adjustments do I need to make? And am I ready, are you ready? for Christ's second coming. Grace Fellowship, let's not be like those governmental and religious leaders back in Bethlehem in 4 BC who missed the Messiah's first coming right under their noses. No, let's be like the wise men and the shepherds who noticed the coming of the Messiah and who responded and who worshiped. The only people who had hearts ready to receive The first coming of the Messiah, as far as we can tell, were the shepherds, the wise men, an old man named Simeon, and an old woman named Anna. Everybody else missed it. They missed it. There's a group called Casting Crowns that has a song that I really, really like. I say I like the song. It's actually really convicting uh, to me. Uh, Because it makes me examine my heart and ask the question, okay, if I had lived in Bethlehem in 4 BC, would I have missed it? Would my heart have been ready to receive Messiah? The song begins by addressing the people of Bethlehem. And in effect, the song says, hey, Bethlehem, do you realize that you missed God's son right under your nose? Like I almost missed my grandfather's report cards right under my nose. Uh, look at the words. I actually put them, uh, the words to the chorus of that song in your notes. The song says, O Bethlehem, what you have missed while you were sleeping. For God became a man and stepped into your world today, but you missed it. O Bethlehem, you will go down in history as a city with no room for its king. As the song goes along, I find myself kind of joining in and condemning Bethlehem. I'm like, Yeah, Bethlehem, you missed it. You missed God's son, you bunch of losers. (laughs) But then the song shifts. And all of a sudden, the song puts its spotlight on me and us and asks, are we ready for Christ's second coming? Or are we going to be like Bethlehem in 4 BC? And so I invite all of us, starting with me, to ask this question this Christmas Eve am i ready for the second coming of jesus the messiah will i be like the wise men the shepherds anna and simeon or will i be like everybody else watch this video of the song while you are sleeping heads up there's a, about a 10 second crucifixion scene in here and so i'll let you decide whether to cover the eyes of your child or not it's about 10 seconds crucifixion And then one more disclaimer, Uh, there's a shot of the White House in this video. I just want to be clear that neither myself nor this video is making any kind of statement about a specific presidential administration. Uh, Rather, the White House in this picture represents America and the seat of power, whoever it is, when Christ returned. Watch this.
3: Like another silent night Above your deep And dreamless sleep A giant star Lights up the sky And while you're lying In the dark the shines an everlasting light king has left his throne, and is sleeping in a manger tonight, tonight. Oh Bethlehem, what you have missed while you were sleeping? For God became a man, and stepped into your world today. Oh Bethlehem, you will go die. As a city with no room for its king While you were sleeping While you were sleeping A little town of Jerusalem Looks like another silent night the father gave his only the son the way the truth for life had come but there was no room for him in the world he came to say jerusalem what you had missed while you were sleeping the savior United States of America looks like another silent night. As we're sung to sleep by the lots of fees that save the trees and kill the children. Looks like another night.
0: Wow, Grace Fellowship, will we be ready when Christ returns the second time? Or will we be like the people in Bethlehem? Which begs the question... Are we informed about his second coming? I I think uh, for many of the people in his first coming, they they weren't informed enough to recognize his first coming. So are we informed about his second coming? Do we know the signs that will precede his second coming and what his second coming uh, will be like? Uh, We did six entire messages on this a few years back in a sermon series we called End Times. When we studied in detail, in depth, Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. So if you want to go deep in those messages, like six entire messages on it, uh, you can go to our YouTube page and there will be some of the very first sermons you'll find there at the top. We're in the process of switching all our messages from Vimeo to YouTube. And so those messages were just placed on YouTube. So they should be kind of at the top. So if you go to YouTube, do a search for Grace Fellowship Church, Katy, Texas. Then some of the first sermons that you'll see uh, will be that. Um, Let me give you the cliff notes of six entire sermons. So here we go in your notes. I put a timeline Eschatology 101. Here it is. You and I are currently in a time period after Christ's first coming. uh, We're in a time period called the church age. And preceding Christ's return, there'll be wars, there'll be earthquakes. There'll be a regathering of Jews in Israel. I think that's actually already happened. There will be false messiahs. And then this is where different believers interpret the scriptures differently. So we can debate about the exact order of things, but regardless of the exact order, at some point there's gonna be a rapture of believers. There's gonna be a seven year tribulation period that's gonna be horrible, as described in Revelation 6 through 19. And at the climax of that will be Armageddon, a war called Armageddon. And at the climax of that war, Christ will return in a glorious appearing with his church. um, And he will set up a kingdom of peace on earth and goodwill toward people. All right, that's the whole Christmas Eve message right there. A bunch of people missed the first coming of Jesus the Messiah, let's not be like that. Let's be ready, Grace Fellowship, for his second coming. Come on. All right, let's make it personal. Look in your notes at the section that says, uh, my application this Christmas. How are you going to apply the scriptures that you've heard this morning, this Christmas Eve? My application this Christmas, finish the sentence. In order to posture myself like the shepherds, the wise men, Simeon and Anna, for Christ's second coming... I'm going to, what are you going to do? I'm going to receive Jesus into my life today on Christmas Eve. Oh, make that your application. Just tell him, Jesus, I receive you and I, I believe and I receive. Make it your own prayer, but i put an example of what that might look like in, in that box there in your notes. You could just say, Jesus, I believe and I receive. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and I believe that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, I receive, I receive you into my life. I receive your free gift of forgiveness of sins, uh, procured through the cross. I receive your free gift of eternal life. And I will follow you with the power of your spirit. I will follow you. Make that your prayer. Or maybe your application this Christmas Eve in order to help prepare for Christ's second coming is to say, uh, I'm gonna help my friends and neighbors and coworkers and relatives be ready for Christ's second return by sharing Jesus with them. And one great way to share Jesus is by inviting them to Alpha. Alpha is a class we have here at Grace Fellowship that's just a safe uh, introduction to the Christian faith. Uh, Watch this video where Brent shares his story uh, of finding God in Alpha. Watch this.
2: My name is Brent Miller. Um, I have been coming to Grace for 11 years, um, but I can tell you that most of my life has been spent as a non-believer. My wife, bless her heart, has been a Christian her whole life, and she prayed over and over for years that I would see the light and make it to see and make a change in my life, but it never worked. She, it just didn't take, um, but she would make me go to church with her and reluctantly I would go. Uh, I would do make every effort not to go, which includes um, turning off her alarm clock while she was asleep so that she wouldn't wake up and drag me to church. Over in years of coming here, I guess it started to rub off on me, and I would see people standing with their hands in the air, and I was like, I'd love to be one of those people, because I'm miserable, but they are so happy. Why are they so happy? One Sunday, somebody brought up uh, the Alpha course and just talked a little bit about it. It was an introduction to the Christian faith, and I said, yeah, maybe that's something I ought to go to. Something that was brought up one of the first meetings was a a concept to me that was brand new was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody had ever even mentioned that to me before. But I went through the first Alpha course and really answered a lot of questions but I really wasn't there yet. I still just it's hard to give up control. The second time I went through Alpha um, I just get a little bits and pieces of information, little things that people would say in small group. And it just, that evidence, that case for Christ built. I just felt something overcome me. And I got up and went up to the altar and prayed and said, you know, please, Lord, I know you died for me. I know you love me. You know, I want to be a better person. I want to be what you want me to be. I don't feel, you know, alone. Um you know, I was you know, diagnosed with cancer. Stage four, which is the worst, the I mean, cancer is horrible, but it would be a lot worse to go through it alone. And I'm not talking about family. I'm talking about going through it without knowing that Jesus loves me, that someone loves me and cares about me, and that there is a better future. I mean, that gives me a lot of peace. Um, And I just couldn't imagine going through it alone Um, without knowing that love and that, that I I know that Jesus has for me. I I don't think I would have, would be where i am now if i had we hadn't started coming to grace and i had gone through the alpha course
0: that's powerful thank you brent by the way the moral of that story is always set two alarm clocks (laughs) that's hilarious maybe your application this christmas eve is to say, I'm going to prepare for Christ's second coming by investing my life in things that count for eternity. Loving God, loving people, the word of God and souls. Maybe you'd say, I'm going to prepare for Christ's second coming by pressing into God's spirit in order to live in godliness, a God-glorifying life and godliness um, in the power of his spirit. Maybe you'd say, I'm going to prepare for Christ's second coming by discerning my Elijah-like faith assignment in the first 40 days of the new year. I'm super excited about this. We're going to spend the first 40 days of our new year, 2024, studying the life of Elijah uh, together in a series that we're calling My 40-Day Faith Assignment. God gave Elijah a very specific assignment and he carried that assignment out. And it begs the question: What's his assignment for me? What's his assignment for you? And will and how uh, can I carry uh, that out? So we're going to study that together. Uh, look at the sermon series menu that I put there in your notes. It's called "My Forty Day Faith Assignment: A Six Week Study of the Prophet Elijah in First and Second Kings." By the way, we're continuing our. Journey of working through all the books of the Bible together as a congregation. So we're gonna cover large swaths of 1st and 2nd Kings uh, by studying Elijah. And then at six weeks after that, we're gonna do Elisha, which is more in 2nd Kings. um, And uh, his theme is is miracles. But for Elijah, he engages in bold prayers, bold faith, bold commitment, bold authenticity, bold words, and bold succession. And on your way in today, um, in your worship guide was this flyer that just talks about the Elijah servant series in the new year. Would you take this home, please don't throw it away, take it home, put it on your bathroom mirror somewhere where you see it, and would you just begin praying for our time together in the new year as we study what the Bible says about Elijah and our faith assignment. Uh, Ask God to touch your life, my life, our lives. Uh, Then come, would you commit to come the first six Sundays of the new year, every single Sunday as we study Elijah and then invite somebody to church. And this is just an easy way to uh, hand this flyer to a friend, a relative, a coworker and say, hey, would you come with me to church the first six Sundays of the new year? All right, prayer altar is open. Uh, I invite you just to come and kneel at this prayer altar railing. Bring your sermon notes with you. Pray these applications at the end of the sermon notes back to God. Uh, Prepare yourself through prayer for the second coming uh, of Jesus Christ. If you come up here to this prayer altar railing, we're gonna leave you alone unless you'd like one of us to pray with you. And the symbol for that is to cup your hands while you're kneeling at the prayer altar railing. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, uh, we'll leave you alone. Uh, Don't leave because we're gonna still sing Silent Night. Uh, You can pray there in your seat. I found it powerful to get out of my seat, come and kneel and pray. I'm gonna be down here praying. I invite you to join me.